1: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Asbury Revival, and the shaming of those apologists who seem to be using a gift that the Holy Spirit himself provides. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. All right, the topic today goes back to the Asbury Revival, and the discussion around it. I know we've talked about this several times, but if you're interested in following the discussion within the church, church with a capital C, the body of Christ, that entity that Jesus himself promised us would prevail at the end of times. He said the gates of hell would not prevail against what? His church. We win. We know that. So when we're having an intramural discussion, if you will, an internal conversation, a debate within the church, I think it's very important because that debate should be grounded in something. It shouldn't be grounded in our emotions. It should not be grounded in our agendas. It should not be grounded in our political motivations or our personal feelings. The debate within the church should be grounded in what? You know where I'm going with this. It should be grounded in Scripture. The Bible, the true north, the compass, the measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. We have to have a referee on the side of the court to blow the whistle when we've broken the rules. You can't play basketball without rules, guidelines. Basketball is well-defined. You know what a double dribble is. You know what traveling is. You know what a foul is. You know where the boundaries are. You can't step outside those boundaries and claim that you violated no rules. You can't continue to run with the ball and claim that you're playing basketball. And why do we have referees? To enforce those rules, to make sure that we have the freedom ultimately to play the game. It's the paradox of discipline and freedom. You have no freedom to participate in the game if you don't understand the rules and live within them. I've used this analogy before. Athletes understand what I'm saying. You have to discipline yourself to the rules of the game, to paying attention to the coach, to understanding the game plan. You have to discipline your body so that it is ready to play the game. You have to practice, practice, and practice, because we know that practice makes perfect. And only after we acknowledge these things are we ever free to be an athlete, whether it be a basketball player, a soccer player, football, baseball, or whatnot. You understand this if you've been a participant in sport. At any level, you have no freedom to play the game if you don't understand the rules and live within them. Again, the paradox of liberty and law. The paradox of fences and freedom. When you understand the fences, you can run robustly within the pasture. Okay, But if you tear down the fences, if the owner loves you, his cows, or whatever animal we're talking about, his horses, or even his dogs, if you tear down the fences, if there are no boundaries, if the owner of the animal cares about the horse, the cow, the dog, the owner will figure out a different way to confine the animal because he knows that it will run out into the road and get killed because there's no longer a boundary to stop it from doing so. So that's when you get less freedom. The animal is put on a leash, a lead a chain put in a cage, confined more tightly because the animal refused to honor the boundaries or something else stole into the pasture and tore down the fences. If you're a musician, you understand the exact same thing. If you don't understand the rules of music, rhyme, rhythm, cadence, if, if you don't understand the rules of harmony, then you can't play a concerto. The stuff coming out of your instrument or out of your mouth will be chaos. It won't be a chorus. It won't be a concerto. It won't sound good. So you lose the freedom to perform music if you don't understand and honor the rules of music. So today's show is on this issue of the Asbury Revival and the pursuit of truth. At Oklahoma Wesleyan, we had four cornerstones my entire time there. They were the primacy of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Line of Judah, the Lamb of God. He's the great I Am. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. He is the judge at the end of days that will judge the quick and the dead. This is the second person of the triune God, Jesus Christ. This this is a well-defined concept of Christianity. If you don't understand what I just said, you can't embrace the faith. You can't claim to be a Christian if you don't acknowledge the primacy of Jesus Christ. The second point in our mission statement at Oklahoma Wesleyan University was the priority of Scripture. The primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture. Jesus is the Son of God and the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and true. It is our compass. It is our true north. It is the measuring rod, infallible, inerrant. The measuring rod, outside of all things being measured. It's the ultimate scale in the debate. It's the referee on the sidelines, blowing the whistle when we're out of bounds. So the primacy of Christ and the priority of Scripture. The third component was the pursuit of truth. Truth is a revelation of God. Truth is objective. It's not subjective. Truth is out there for you to find more of it. It's not there for you to construct. The facts don't care about your feelings, and I didn't give degrees and opinions. You pursue truth. It's real. It's attainable. You may not understand all of it, but you can understand more of it. That's the point of an education in the first place. Primacy of Christ, priority of Scripture, pursuit of truth, and finally, The fourth component was the practice of wisdom, holiness, sanctification, obedience. Once you understand who Jesus is, the primacy of Christ, once you go to true north, Scripture, the priority of Scripture, scripture, the Bible, true north, your compass, primacy of Christ, priority of Scripture, you pursue truth within that grid, within that reality, because it's a standard that you can be held to. It is the true fence of freedom. And then finally, you do something about it. You practice what you preach. You have integrity. You obey. You play the instrument. You perform in the game. And that's the ultimate freedom because you're doing something that makes sense. You are in harmony when you pursue holiness. That was the mission of Oklahoma Wesleyan while I was there. And ironically... It seems to me that anybody asking a question within that grid right now about the Asbury Revival is somehow pigeonholed into being a naysayer, a wet blanket, quenching the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to use Alyssa Childers as well as Natasha Crane again as examples and how the Christian community is responding to them right now. Not everybody But enough that it's noteworthy, they've they've noticed it. They're uncomfortable with the response they're getting, and they should be, because it seems that people within the body of Christ are actually disparaging a couple sisters in Christ for exercising and using the very gifts that the Holy Spirit himself has given them. Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll explain it further. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes.
0: The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Rebellion. So I'm talking about the Asbury Revival again today, but in a sense I'm really not talking about the revival, the outpouring, the awakening, whatever you want to call it, the ongoing chapel service the openness of the students at Asbury College and the seminary across the street to to pursue God and to worship God. I'm not talking about that as much as I am the response of supporters of the revival to those that actually support revival but are simply asking a couple questions about exactly what is happening there. And because these two ladies have raised their hand and asked a question or two, in a very, in my view, very patient and simple way, not simple, actually complex way in terms of theology and intellectual capacity, two very bright people that are asking good questions because they're well-informed of history, tradition, reason, experience, and Scripture. Using Scripture as the trump card of of all of that. Alyssa Childers and uh, Natasha Crane are asking good questions. And the more I read reports about Asbury, the more I follow it on Facebook. And I've got a lot of friends, a lot of Facebook friends that are celebrating this. And I celebrate it too with an if. There's an if in my celebration. And I think you resolve those ifs. By asking questions, and I don't think the body of Christ, I don't think the church should ever disparage somebody, malign somebody, or make someone feel uncomfortable for asking a simple, honest question. So, Alyssa Childers and Natasha Crane are asking good questions. Questions like, when you talk about Jesus, which Jesus is it that you're talking about? The one that's defined in our Bibles or the one... That is defined by our culture. That's a good question. A question all of us should be asking when you go into a church or even into the public square and someone wants to talk about Jesus. Well, people are hungry for Jesus. Well, which Jesus? Because our culture has dumbed down the definition of who Jesus is. Is this just an interesting sage? A kindly uncle that wants a good time to be had by all? To paraphrase C.S. Lewis. Is, is this the Jesus that's defined by our Bibles or the one that's defined by our culture? We should never disparage anybody or marginalize somebody. Put them on the sidelines of the church and the, and the conversation, the, 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 the Christian debate, when they simply raise their hand and say, which Jesus is it? I've told you the story before about how I was invited to an event at Washington, D.C. It was hosted by Glenn Beck. Now, I love Glenn Beck. I'm co-belligerent with Glenn Beck on a ton of stuff, culturally, politically, morally. But Glenn Beck's faith is different than my faith. Glenn Beck is a Mormon. I'm a biblical Christian. And the two faiths have different definitions of Jesus. As an orthodox, conservative Christian, I believe in the Trinity. Glenn Beck does not. I believe in the exclusivity of the Word. The finality, the inerrancy, the absolute authority of the Bible. Glenn, De- Glenn Beck does not. He obviously believes in the Book of Mormon as a subsequent revelation. So there are major differences here. Orthodox Christians believe in monotheism, one God in three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Mormon faith indicates that all of us become our own gods and inherit our own planet and repopulate it at the end of days major differences here so you could and if you're being technically accurate you could argue that mormonism is polytheism rather than monotheism the the mormon church teaches that jesus is the brother of lucifer that is not biblical that is not taught in the bible so there are many differences here. Now, again, I can be co-belligerent with somebody that I disagree with on all of these things for unborn life, for decency and moral standards within the market square, within the public square, for the values and virtues of our Constitution, for religious freedom. I can be co-belligerent and am with Glenn Beck. And any, any Mormons that might be listening to this show, but... Both of us have to admit that we have a very different definition of Jesus. So when you, when, you, when you talk to me of Jesus, I want to know which one it is that you're talking about. Is it the one defined in our Bibles or by our culture? Is it the one defined by Mormons and Muslims, or is it the one defined by Orthodox Christianity? There's a very different Jesus that we're talking about here. And in our culture today, in our cultural zeitgeist, to use a word that Alyssa Childers has used in confronting or talking about this stuff, an appropriate word, we have to ask which Jesus is it that you are talking about? I want to know. Just to say students are hungry for Jesus, it sounds great, but which one? Because our culture is very confused over the definition of who Jesus is. You don't get to make it up in my view. In orthodox Christianity's view, you don't get to make up your own definition of Jesus. Your feelings don't matter. The facts do. Here's another question. Is this the Jesus of critical theory, or is it the Jesus of the creeds and true Christianity? Is this the empirical Jesus proven by history, reason, experience, and scripture, or is this a Jesus of emotion? That's a critical question. Now, I'm using my own words right now, but these are words that Natasha Crane and Alyssa Childers are asking. And why in the world would we try to silence them or embarrass them into being quiet by suggesting, well, you're quenching the fires of the Holy Spirit by asking those questions. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. In fact, you might be exercising a very gift of the Holy Spirit when you ask those questions because one of the key gifts that's cited in Scripture is the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment. I don't know if Alyssa Childers or Natasha Crane claim those gifts, but as I listen to them talk, I would assume that they probably have those gifts because of the way they're asking these questions. They're using the gift of discernment. They're trying to discern what's right and real and just and true. They're asking, which Jesus is it? Is it the Jesus of critical theory or the Jesus of the creeds and true Christianity? Is it the Jesus that's defined by history, reason, experience, and Scripture the Bible, or is it the Jesus of emotion? So just because we see students raising their hands to Jesus, I want to know which one it is they're raising their hands to. And the answers may be given at Asbury, but I'm not seeing it pervasive on social media, and that's what I hear coming from Childers and Crane. Here's another question. Again, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what I'm hearing, and their questions. Alisa Childers' and Natasha Crane's questions. Is this the same Jesus who will judge the quick and the dead at the end of days, or is it a, an affirming Jesus who puts tolerance above truth? Now, you know that this question needs to be asked in today's debate because so many progressive Christians, progressive Christian churches, are elevating tolerance over truth, affirmation over the acknowledgement of revelation as being the end of it. Truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. Your your desire to be tolerant of a lie doesn't make the lie the truth. Your your emotional affirmation of people that you want to be kind to, there's, there's good stuff in that motivation, but there's also stuff that can be corrupted. Because if you start affirming somebody to the point where they don't feel conviction to change, They could hurt themselves, not only temporarily, but eternally, because they don't feel any need to confess things, repent of things, stop doing things that the Bible explicitly condemns. So, again, I ask the question, is this the same Jesus who will judge the quick and the dead? He will be the judge at the end of days. It says that very clearly in the Bible. Read Revelation. Or is it an affirming Jesus? An affirming Jesus. I'll say it one more time. An affirming Jesus that puts tolerance above truth. Here's another question. Is is this a Jesus revealed to us by the whole of Scripture? All of it. This is a very critical one. Because a lot of the commentary out there celebrating the Asbury Awakening revival again, whatever label you want to use, a lot of the commentary out there right now is coming from the political left, the progressive church, and one of those branches of the progressive church is what's called red-letter Christians. Those that believe the red letters are much more important and much more authoritative and inspired, if you will, than the rest of the Bible. Red letter Christianity. Now, at first blush, some people might be attracted to that. Well, of course, the red letters in your Bible are the words that Jesus himself explicitly spoke. So, Piper, if you're claiming that Jesus is the second person of the triune God, wouldn't we want to attend to the red letters more so than all of the rest of it? Well, it ignores the fact that that position basically goes where Andy Stanley and Tony Campolo and a bunch of others go, and that is they unhitch themselves from two-thirds of the Bible that Jesus himself inspired. Do you understand my point there? Red-letter Christianity elevates a certain portion of the Bible, a very small percentage of the Bible, over and above the rest of the Bible. And if you're an Orthodox believer, if you believe in Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, then you have to conclude that Jesus inspired the Old Testament as much as he did the New Testament. Jesus is God. So to unhitch yourself from two-thirds or more of the Bible that God himself inspired just as much as the red letters, and if Jesus is God, then you're denying the authority you're denying the Trinity, you're denying the inspiration that God himself has over the entirety, the whole of Scripture. So is this a Jesus? Is the Jesus we're talking about right now as we discuss the Asbury revival and awakening? Is it the Jesus of the whole of Scripture? Or is there teaching within this revival that unhitches, unhitches Christianity from two-thirds of the Bible that Jesus himself inspired? There aren't two gods. There isn't a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. It's one God, and he's the God of both. And the Holy Spirit is something that we are given as Christians. He lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit to give us discernment and to ask good questions. We shouldn't shame or make people feel uncomfortable or attacked by pejorative statements, well, be careful to not quench the Holy Spirit, or there seems to be a lot of fear in your questions. I've had both of these things thrown at me on Facebook from people that I respect and agree with on a lot of things, but that's the wrong way to respond, in my view. Here's another question. Is this Jesus one that those of other faiths could celebrate? Faiths such as Mormons or Muslims. Or Baha'i or Buddhists? Is the Jesus we're talking about right now one that these other faiths could celebrate? Or is this an Orthodox Jesus who clearly said that he is the great I am? That's a claim that he is the eternal God, by the way. When he said, I am, he was identifying himself as God. He's the great I am. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And no one, no one, no one comes to the Father but by him. The exclusivity of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is exclusively true. So is this Jesus one that other faiths could embrace? Hindus? Heterodox? Orthodox? It doesn't matter. We can all rally around the Jesus flagpole. Or is this the great I am, the only way, the only truth, and the only life? That's a very important question. If you're going to raise your hands and sing praise choruses and tunes to Jesus, you better define who you're talking about. And you shouldn't shame anyone implicitly or explicitly by asking them, well, why, why are you saying that? Aren't you quenching the fires of the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Holy Spirit include several things. I won't cite them all, teaching and prophecy, but they also include the gifts of the Holy Spirit include discernment. You ask questions, you weigh every ideal, every idea, everything that you hold dear. You weigh it on the scales of truth. You sift it through the grid of true north, the compass of the Bible. If we lose that measuring rod outside of all things being measured, our faith becomes loosely defined and it moves all over the place. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You're cast to and fro with every wave of the sea. We have to have defenses of freedom around our faith or our faith becomes meaningless because it could mean anything to anyone. And that's not Christianity. I don't know what it is, but it's not Christianity. You don't get to make it up. I said that earlier. I don't get to make it up. It's defined for us. We don't define it. Your emotions should be checked with reality. I'm not arguing, nor is Childers or Crane arguing that emotions should be discarded. We are emotional creatures, yes, but we're also logical and rational creatures. And the gift of discernment allows us to go back and check our emotions, as well as our rational evaluations, against something that matters, against truth with a capital T. Faithful defenders of biblical truth shouldn't be shamed. Faithful defenders, good apologists such as Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane and others shouldn't be shamed with accusations that they are quenching the Spirit. That's the ultimate appeal to authority. That's the ultimate fallacy. It shuts down the debate within the church faster than anything else because who among us wants to be accused of quenching the Holy Spirit? It's very dangerous for the church to start throwing around those accusations. Well, I I sense a lot of fear. I I smell a lot of fear in these questions. It seems that people aren't willing to just go with the Spirit. That's one accusation that I saw on Facebook. I've seen people accuse Elisa Childers of being a, a wet blanket on this discussion. And that implies, what does a wet blanket do? The, the analogy there is you, that you throw a wet blanket on a fire. That's one of the ways you put it out. I, I just don't think that's the right response. The right response is to go to the Bible and use it to evaluate what's going on. So again, faithful defenders of biblical truth shouldn't be shamed with accusations that they are quenching the Spirit especially when they're using the gift of discernment that the Spirit himself gives. You hear me on that? I'm going to say it one more time. Faithful defenders of biblical truth should never be shamed or silenced with accusations that they are quenching the Spirit, especially when they are using the gift of discernment that the Spirit himself gives. Use the Bible as your ultimate measuring rod, not emotions, not the existential, not the heartwarming experience. Use the Bible to evaluate what's right and just and real and true. And don't silence those folks like Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane, who are just asking questions that guide us in that direction. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.